the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. This is Let Us Reason. And I am your host, Al Fadi, and uh, we um, are always thankful for your partnership with us. As always, I encourage you to uh, communicate with us through a variety of platforms and venues, whether it's my Facebook page, whether it's my website, whether it's my YouTube channel, and I will address all of those uh, uh, during the show uh, as well. We have just concluded, by the way, recently, uh, one of our series that I called the Unknown History of Islam. And the intent behind it was to be used by you as a companion for the video series that have the same title, The Unknown History of Islam, which is being released on a weekly basis now. I think we're up to number three. It's about 22 different videos. And uh, uh, part of it has to do with the unknown history. The other part has to do with the Quran. And the third part has to do with slavery and Islam. So those 22 basically uh, encompass all of these three different series. So you can use the podcast that we used, uh, that we called the Unknown History of Islam, as a companion for the videos on our YouTube channel, for instance, which is Sira International, or through our Facebook. Uh, because by listening to the video, watching the videos, watching the slides, listening to podcasts, I think you'll be able to get a bigger picture the videos, of course, are helpful because it will show slides, but also it will show the interaction between me, myself, Al Fadi, and Dr. J. Smith as well. And I want to give my brother credit here because uh, the material that I'm using uh, uh, basically based on some of his work, and I'm adding my own, of course, but I want to give the brother here uh, credit where credit is due. And he's, of course, he's affiliated with something called the Fonder uh, uh, Center. For apologetics and his videos are found in Fonder Films. Mine are found in Sierra International on YouTube channel, basically, or my Facebook uh, or my uh, website, which is sierrainternational.com. And also you can uh, interact with me through Facebook as well. I have my own personal page, alfadi.sierra. I have my own ministry page, The Alfadi. And my ministry, Sierra, has its own page called Sierra International. So these are the different ways you can connect with us, track us, follow us, and we encourage you to subscribe to our uh, uh, YouTube channel and become a Patreon patron where you're even enabled actually to even support financially as little as $1, believe it or not, $5, $10. There are so many options for you. All of this funding you is used usually to help us 
to um, basically build more and more videos, allow us to stay on the air, and so on and so forth. So thank you, th- uh, thank you so much uh, for your willingness to pray for us and partner with us. Today we are going to launch another new series, which is also a companion for the second part that I did with Dr. J. Smith that has to do with the Quran and its problems. So this particular one will deal with the Quran and its many historical problems series that I did uh, with Dr. J. Smith in videos. Haven't been released yet. Once they are released through our YouTube channel, Sierra International, this particular uh, podcast will be helpful to you as a companion for that. Now, this particular one we're going to call the uh, Quran and its historical problems. And we are going to take a look at the Quran from a variety of angles internal and external, and we are going to raise the par and show that the Quran is not the perfect book that our Muslim friends think or assume it to be, and we'll give enough evidence as to why we are saying this. Now, let's start the journey by just thinking like a Muslim. How do Muslims view the Quran? Uh, The inimitability of the Quran is this. Muslims will tell you the Quran is uncreated, and existed eternally on tablets in heaven. You find this in chapter 85 of the Quran, verse 22. They will tell you that the Quran was sent down to the Prophet Muhammad between 610 AD until 632 AD through a mediator who happened to be the angel Gabriel. And then the Quran was finally completed basically by uh, the Caliph Uthman, in 652 AD, and Muslims insist that the Quran we have in our hand today uh, happens to be the exact same Quran that uh, the Caliph uh, Uthman himself has collected and finalized. And finally, Muslims will say the Quran today is unchanged, never been tampered with, doesn't have a slicest corruption, and it's been preserved for 1400 years. This is why it is the perfect book for mankind to follow. So this is the Islamic view. That's what every Muslim will tell you. It doesn't matter what background they come from. It doesn't matter whether they are learned or unlearned. It doesn't matter if they speak Arabic or English or any other language. They are fed this over and over again. As a result of this, we are now going to challenge this thinking. In Christianity, the Bible uh, basically is written by man, but inspired by God. Okay, uh, that's what Second uh, Peter 1, uh, 18 to 21 tells us, that the Holy Spirit basically is the one that superintended the process. Holy men of God basically were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy in this Bible came, came about by the will of man. Okay, it is all the word of God. All scripture is God breathed. But yes, God used a man to write it. I mean, it didn't drop just from heaven. God is that powerful and he can use anyone if he wanted. The Bible also uh, is complete in its original form. And manuscripts today could allow us to trace back the original with with the highest degree of accuracy. Now, uh, Muslims insist that the Bible has changes. We call those sometimes copyist errors or scribal errors, but 
the massive amount of manuscripts that we have allows us to trace back to the original. And we always identify in a footnote in the Bible to tell you if there is something in this particular uh, sentence or word that earlier manuscript either has it or don't have it. There is complete openness. There isn't anything to hide. And you will not find a single scribal error, copyist error, any change that ever changed the doctrines, the essentials of the Bible. We are still saved by faith, saved by grace by faith. We are still saved by the work of Christ uh, Christ on the cross, by the blood of Christ. We are justified before a holy God. None of these things have ever been impacted or changed. Even the most liberal of scholars, even the most atheist of scholars, they still have the decency and the honesty to try to tell you that we don't find anything that will change those essentials. That's extremely important. Okay? This is why we need to focus on that. So, um, what we are trying to attempt through this series, technically speaking, is is this. Uh, it appears that a Muslim uh, wants us to believe that we cannot crit- critique an uncreated book a book that sent down from heaven, uh, yet uh, we uh, can only uh, critique an archaic, complete, and unchanged, uh, basically, Koran. Uh, 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 so in this case, um, we want to find out one Koran, okay, just one Koran that is dated from the mid-7th century, which is 652, the time of Uthman when it was finalized, that it's complete, that has 114 chapters, just like modern-day Quran has, and it is unchanged, and it is according to the readings of Hafs in today's Quran. It doesn't have the slightest variation, not a single letter, not a single diacritical marking, not a single dot is different. If we can find such Quran, we will be the first to admit that we are wrong and they are right. Now, we are going to look at a number of areas as time allows us. For instance, we are going to look at the traditional accounts of the compilations of the Quran according to Islamic sources. Islamic sources say there was two compilations. One was done between 632 and 634. The second one was done at 652, and we will address those. We are going to take a look at the six earliest manuscripts of the Quran. Okay? We are going to look at one of the earliest manuscripts of the Quran known as the Sana Palimpsest and is known as Palimpsest because it has two layers, a lower layer and an upper layer. We're going to look at the carbon dating according to lab reports. And then we're going to give you an exposure to what we call, according to Dr. J. Smith and his team, discovered 31 different Arabic Qurans to date. Okay, I want to emphasize it is too date because in a previous uh, video about a year ago, he was dealing with 26. Now they're up to 31. Those are Korans are in, in existence in markets in North Africa, in the Middle East. And his team is basically is cowering basically everywhere to try to find any of these Korans. And they're making their studies and comparisons and uncovering and unearthing the many differences in the thousands between these Qurans and also what we call the 1924 Cairo edition, which is Muslims insist the Cairo edition is the Uthmanic Quran that was done in 652 AD. 
So this is the background behind this series that we are going to call the Quran and the and its historical problems. Okay, let's take a look at, and I think today that's all we can do is to focus primarily on the traditional account or the classical account of the compilation of the Quran. Okay, so what are the sources that give us this glimpse on this? It is basically hadith. The hadith is the one that will tell us about those things that took place. Okay, so uh, to understand the Muslims' claims, we have to go really to the earliest Islamic sources and references to the Quran, its compilation. And the hadith is found in the 9th century, almost 200 years, okay, 200 years after the Quran was supposedly revealed and collected. That's a problem right there, actually. So in one of those hadith, in uh, uh, Hadith Bukhari, uh, basically, uh, we read the following. Uh, uh, The Hadith Bukhari uh, says that the first compilation was done by the first caliph, Abu Bakr, uh, between 632 and 634 AD. And it says that Abu Bakr basically and his uh, co-caliph, Omar, were kind of like concerned because after the death of Muhammad, a uh, number of Muslim tribes reverted back to uh, idolatry and uh, paganism and re- left Islam. So Abu Bakr launched a war known as the War of the Apostates, and part of the memorizers of the Quran were uh, uh, soldiers in his, uh, basically, army, and some of them died. In fact, some accounts will say hundreds of them have died. So Omar and Abu Bakr were concerned that if that was the case, then they're going to lose the Quran, and therefore they decided for the first time to write it down in a written book, a codex, if you wish. Before that, some people took the liberty to write down their own favorite verses or whatever they can memorize on pieces of palm stalks, basically stones, leather, uh, bones, uh, you name it. And once they have collected this so-called first codex, they gave it to one of the prophet's wives, happens to be the daughter of Omar. Her name is Hafsa. And that was it. No copies were made of it. No distribution of this standard copy was made. It was just handed to her. Just in case, if anything were to happen to the memorizers of the Quran, then you have something to fall back on. That was the whole intent behind this first compilation. And years passed by, and now we are into the third caliph, Uthman. And the year is 652, when Uthman basically received back an account from one of his military leaders stating that as they were invading modern-day Armenia and Azerbaijan uh, with in northern Iraq, um, uh, basically Hudayfa, that's uh, uh, his, uh, technically speaking, a military uh, leader, his name is Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, came to Uthman and says, Uthman, Uh, We're having a problem. Our soldiers are actually fighting with each other because the people of Iraq read the Quran in a different dialect than the people of Sham or Levant and than other people, of course. So we're having differences in how to read the Quran in different dialects and variant text readings, technically speaking. So what shall we do about this? So Uthman basically ordered the same committee that 
collected the Quran the first time for Abu Bakr and Omar and asked him to rewrite it again. Notice, he asked him to rewrite it again. He didn't say, take Hafsa's copy that was made already in 634 and make copies of it. No, he apparently didn't trust that copy too. He wanted to collect the Quran again and decided he himself single-handedly on which dialect. That's the dialect of Quraysh that supposedly was spoken by him and spoken by the Prophet of Islam, which is the tribe that is found in Mecca. Now, here's my question. Who authorized Uthman, a mere man, according to Islamic teachings, wasn't a prophet, wasn't a messenger, wasn't even commissioned by the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, to do any such thing before Muhammad died? Who authorized them to decide, first of all, to recollect the Quran in writing and ignore the earliest copy? Because Hafsa's copy was immediately after the death of the Prophet. That would have been more reliable, probably. It's still preserved more in memory than 20 plus years later, right? The second thing is, why does he decide on which dialect? Is this the dialect that it was revealed from heaven? Basically, it was the Quran revealed in a Quraysh dialect. How does he know? Because there is a tradition that says actually the Quran was revealed supposedly in seven different dialects. So why does Uthman decide on which one is the heavenly one and doesn't use the others? There is another problem. He actually orders the destruction of all other available Qurans so that they're not competing with his. So he took the liberty even to decide which Quran is divine and which Quran is not divine. And then the tradition says that he made copies to all the provinces, the main provinces. That probably would include nine provinces. Basra in southern Iraq, Baghdad in central Iraq, Damascus in modern-day Syria, Jerusalem, Cairo, Alexandria, Aden in Yemen, Herat in northern, uh, basically uh, the Levant area, and Nishabur, uh, that's in the central Asia portion uh, or region. So, if that's the case, now you would expect to find some of those. And if you find one or two, you would expect them to match that today's Quran, the 1924 Cairo edition. And if you would find two of them at least that date back to that time, 652, that they should also match each other. That's at least the hypothesis that we should run with. But is that the case? Is that really what happened? And why does Uthman burn all other copies of the Quran? We've lost valuable information, technically speaking. And why does he censor uh, which Quran should remain and which dialect should remain and which verses should be added or not? That's really the problem. So let's go back to asking some challenging questions. One of the challenging questions concerning the first compilation. Why didn't God choose a language? which could accommodate the Quran. Okay, remember the Quran? It was written for the first 150 plus years without any diacritical markings, by the way. God, for instance, chose Hebrew and Greek, and they were already in existence, and Aramaic part of it also was used in Old Testament. We have thousands of manuscript evidence. By the time the Quran came into existence, there were more than 200 plus manuscripts of the Greek, plus the Septuagint, all of them, basically show that the Bible has been preserved. Why did not God choose a man who could read and write? Why did he choose, for instance, a man, Muhammad, that doesn't know how to read or write? What's the point behind that? Another question we need to ask. 
Why did not Muhammad learn to read or write, for instance? How difficult it would have been for him to learn uh, to read or write, to make sure the maximum, basically, level of protection for the Quran instead of laying it in the hands of people that he was using. Why didn't Abu Bakr make copies of his original copy that the Codex that made? Remember, his copy was made between 632 and 634. The Prophet, according to the classical accounts of Islam, died in 632. Notice it's immediately after the death of the Prophet. That would have been the perfect Quran, right? That would have been the ideal Quran to make copies of and distribute him. Why not? Why didn't he do something like this? Here's another question. How could there be dialectical differences in the mid, uh, middle of the 7th century? They required dialectical markations, but I thought those weren't introduced until the 8th century. So that means the Quran was being read that way orally, okay? It wasn't written, it was read orally according to everyone's own dialect, okay? And why they were not finalized until possibly another century later. If that's the idea, if Uthman's rub was the different diacritical markings, why didn't Uthman's own writing include those diacritical markings? Because they were not introduced until almost 100 years after Uthman's collection, meaning about 150 years after the uh, death of the Prophet and so on and so forth. And why did Uthman burn all other copies? Doesn't that suggest that they did not agree with his? Why would he burn him? Right? That, that indicates right there that he was suspicious of these Qurans. And did he really burn every single surviving copy? There wasn't anything that survived his burning, basically? Or people hid their own copies or escaped with their own copies? I mean, are you sure Uthman somehow magically got a hold of all copies in his entire, basically, umpire? Wouldn't it be great to have at least some of these copies to compare them to today's Quran? Who gave him the authority to do something like this? Who commissioned him to do something like this? Who was he anyway? Was he a messenger of Islam? Was he the prophet of Islam? Do you even have any traditions by the prophet commissioning Uthman in the future to do something like this? None, basically. And where are the copies of the Quran that supposedly Uthman made copies of and sent? It would have only be 1,400 years old, right? Because that would have been 1,400 years after, you know, uh, the rise of Islam. We have 1,700-year-old New Testaments, by the way. Okay, complete some of them. All of those cities outside of Jerusalem are still Islamic cities today, okay? In other words, the whole cities supposedly that Uthman sent these copies to remain in Islamic control. So no one can come back and say, well, you know, uh, the Byzantines took over and they destroyed it. Uh, or the Russians took over and they destroyed it. Or, or, the, or this group or that group took over the city. No, they remain under Islamic control. That would have ensured complete perfection of these copies and protection as well. Even one completed 7th century Quran should have survived by now. Why, if Uthman standardized the Quran in one copy, are there now multiple, multiple, not only copies, but also readings, multiple variant text readings of the Quran? Doesn't this indicate a 
utter failure, failure by Osman. He completely failed, technically speaking. He failed, uh, basically, to ensure the preservation of the one dialect. Because we have many different dialects and many different readings. Let's look at what the Islamic traditions say concerning the earliest composition of the Quran. And actually, I would like to uh, probably pause here because this might require a whole different show to continue. In this case, we will pick it up, Lord willing, next time by looking at the Islamic traditions and what they're saying about the early compilations. But before we do that, I want to remind you again that this is a brand new series now that will deal with the Quran and its historical problems. You can always connect with us, as always, through our Facebook page, alfadi.sira or The Alfadi or Sira International or our YouTube channel, Sira International, or our uh, website, sirainternational.com. Until we meet again in another episode of Let Us Reason, I'm your host, Alfadi, and have a blessed weekend. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.